Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Before we jump in, just a reminder. This episode of Right Lane is sponsored by the Scripps Howard Awards. The Scripps Howard Foundation and Right Lane are collaborating to spotlight some of the best journalism of 2019. Be sure to submit your entries to the awards. The deadline is February 8th. For details, go to shawards.org. Finalists will be named February 25th, and winners will be announced March 3rd. The awards show will be April 16th in Cincinnati. In the weeks ahead, we'll talk with some of the Scripps winners on this podcast. Joining us on the podcast today are Times reporter Ileana Naharo and Times photographer Marta Asensio Rhine. Ileana and Marta teamed up recently on a story for one of our enterprise rotations. That's where a beat reporter finds a subject that needs a little extra time and makes a pitch to get a month away from the grind. They wanted to explore a community that hasn't gotten a lot of attention from the Times, and when it has, it hasn't always been the right kind of attention. We'll let them explain. Today's topic, Tommy Town. So first, what is Tommy Town and why did you go there? So Tommy Town is this neighborhood in East Pasco County that has gone through a range of transformations based on who was living there. And most recently, it's been a Latino enclave, really, with families from Mexico and Central America who came for agriculture work, um, are now in construction work, and they've come to raise their families and make a living there. Um, it's been an interesting journey for that town because it's gone through physical transformations as well in terms of needed infrastructure improvements for the area. How'd you guys first hear about it? Well, I first heard about it uh, the day that I met you, Ileana. <laughs> Um, she came up to me in the newsroom and said, hey, you know, we haven't met. And then in conversations, she asked, um, have you heard about Tommy Town? And I have lived here for a really long time, but I hadn't. So, And you, of course, are a native Spanish speaker. Ileana is a na yep. native Spanish speaker. <laughs> and so um, it, was, it was helpful in, in doing this story. Yes. Ileana, how did you find it? Because I'm with Martha. I've been here 20 years. I'd never even heard of Tommy Town. So I found it through Tommy Town's unofficial mayor, Margarita Romo, a colleague here who works at Tampa Centro, uh, Miriam, had referred me to Margarita and all of her activist work in the community. And so I went out, drove out to meet her to learn a little bit more about 
her work. And it was through there that she said, hey, do you want to drive around with me? Do you want to see where I live and where I work? And I said, absolutely. So I jumped in with her and she started walking me through the story of the town by pointing out the different buildings and the different families who live there and all the different marks that they have left behind across generations. And that's where it really got me thinking, okay, there's something here. And the conversation started with a new school that they were planning to open, a pre-K program for the kids in the neighborhood. And so I walked away from that encounter thinking, okay, this is something new. This is something new that's coming out of the community for the community. And it could be an interesting way to introduce readers who may not know of the area or remind those who live around there of some of the new stuff that is going on. But at one point, that conversation actually took a turn. But so initially, it was a lot of source building. It was sort of meeting somebody in the community and trying to just kind of, because you were new here too, right? And trying to get your feel for who's out there, what exactly. are they doing? Exactly, just letting people tell you their stories. I mean, the idea is, you know, I hear a lot about giving voice to the voiceless, but really everyone has a voice, but not everybody is able to hear it. And so I wanted to hear from people in the community, hey, what's your story? What is it like to live here? And that sort of prompted the conversation where the school is a part of that story, right? It's an effort that neighbors from the area wanted this. And so they worked together to figure out how to make it happen because they weren't going to wait for somebody else to come in and make their dreams come true. They had to work for it themselves, um, which is really just the overall story of the neighborhood. You've always had to look out for yourself, really. Um, But this was an opportunity to let them tell me, okay, show me your home and let me then show the rest of the world where you live and who you are. So we'll talk in a minute here about how the school did end up being the angle. But um, but we were going to ask Ileana to read a little section of the story. We'll, we'll obviously put a link to the story and the fabulous photographs, great storytelling. Um, but this describes a little bit about what Tommy Town is. Tommy Town lies in an unincorporated area of East Pasco County just north of Dade City. Lock Street cuts through the heart of town, with houses and churches on either side. At the busiest intersection, there are taquerias, a thrift shop, and a corner gas station where an American flag waves beside a Mexican one. The neighborhood encompasses 72 blocks. There are about 350 residences, mostly made up of multi-generational immigrant families. It is a place in slow transition, Some homes are newer and well-maintained. One sold recently for $112,000. A few doors away, another property with run-down shacks went for $100. Some people still rely on septic tanks. The community, like neighboring Dade City, struggles with stagnant wages, said Dade City Commissioner Scott Black. Locals have traded work in fields and factories for construction jobs that pay better. Outsiders think the town is dangerous, but crime is worse in places like Wesley Chapel and Zephyr Hills, said Major Tate Sanborn with the Pasco Sheriff's Office. Those areas are close to the interstate and major stores. Just over a decade ago, the streets of Tommy Town were so unkempt that children playing outside got caught up in dust storms whenever a car drove by. Federal funding eventually provided a needed facelift, but the area's character has remained the same. It's the place where an activist became the unofficial mayor 
inspired to make a change after the death of a migrant toddler. It's where Immigration and Customs Enforcement conducts the occasional raid. It's where Sarah and Daniela have seen some friends get tied up in drug dealing and teen pregnancies, and where they've seen others go off to college. It's the place where the fruit stand lady gives out candy, where neighbors pitch in for a community food pantry, and where you meet your best friend. So um, you wanted to explore this whole idea, Elaine, of, of the town as a character, because in many ways, when you guys first got there, that's kind of what you were doing. Even though we had this hook about the school, which, by the way, is still not open. So that did not end up being our hook. Um, but yeah, let's... I just you- think that's something every young reporter, especially when you just dropped into a new area, should know how to do. You know, you, it's a, I didn't know till I started working for you, and I'd been in a bureau for like 10 years, <laughs> that like the town can be the character. You know, you don't have to have a person. You need people, but the town itself can be the character. So yeah, and Martha, it's lovely to have you on this side of the microphone, I have to say. Thank Martha's you. Martha's been our producer, and now she's participating. <laughs> um how, how you guys did this together, right? You basically went together and said, "Okay, town, what do you got for us?" Like, how did that evolve? Yeah, yeah, we uh, we took a that initial tour with uh, Margarita in her van, and she uh, drove us around the town and showed us uh, all the different spots. Like, look, there's a drug house, and uh, you know, and this is a, a a nicer house. And you're looking at a white picket fence, and you know, bougainvillea bushes, and then right next to it, it's like a shack with like half-starved dog um (laughs) or you know like a car on bricks and um yeah it was just kind of jarring I've never seen poverty like that in the United States so how did you so okay the town is a character you you meet this woman and she introduces you to other people yes yeah so how does that evolve what what were those conversations like they're thinking oh what are you coming to do a story about (laughs) I don't know if in my experience, if we ever met anyone that really was like, who are these people? I mean, I, I guess I could see that in their faces. But once we got to talking, everyone was was pretty open um, as best as they could be. You definitely had those families that were a little bit more reserved, but probably because of their experiences. Some of them had just arrived. Yeah, there is a bit of a mix of, you know, one of the reasons that we first approached this by talking to Margarita is that they're is a sizable number of undocumented families in the area. And so out of abundance of caution, they're not going to be so open to be sharing their life stories to just anyone who walks by. And I think there was a huge benefit in having Marta and myself report this as two Latinas, as two bilingual Latinas, because you could see a difference when you approach someone and you started talking in Spanish and their face kind of changed to say, oh, Okay, yes, we can talk. Yeah, we can trust you. Uh, we, we can trust you with this. Spending enough time there where we would go at different times of the day. We would go on weekends. We would go during the week. We'd go after school in the morning, late at night. They would see us around the same street. So that helped as well because it wasn't just us deciding to pop in one day thinking that we saw everything we needed to see and let's just go with it. Because I agree, Lane, that a lot of times place can be its own character. And some of my favorite writing is writing that imbues physical locations with some sense of life. The idea that place itself is such a significant part of the craft because it adds another thing. Because for instance, at the end of the day, what we came to realize, because we ultimately focused on Sarah and Daniela, these two teenage girls who Margarita introduced us to because they were leading 
these dance classes on a weekend, and we wanted to go see these teenagers teach ballet folklorico to a younger generation. When we talked to them, when we hung out more with them as our two main characters, so to speak, of the story, we realized that Tommy Town, in their mind, and what it really was to everyone else that we talked to, was home. That's what it was. That's what this place was. You can call it an enclave. You can call it unincorporated. You have all the other terminology that would be accurate to use for it. But at the end of the day, it is home. It's just a home that you don't really see often on the front page of a major American newspaper. You don't often see this rural home that is made up of multi-generational Latinos, bilingual and otherwise, um, as the idea of what an American home looks like, what it sounds like, what it feels like, the way that these girls talk about. Yeah, there are some issues, right? They're aware of some pockets of crime in the neighborhood. They're aware of the poverty. And sometimes they're aware of it, unfortunately, because of outsiders rubbing it in their faces. I know that in previous coverage of even the Times, there was a lot of focus on sort of the poverty of the area, the immigration status of many in the community. But there wasn't a lot of deep dive, a lot of time and attention spent to what it was actually like to grow up there, what it was actually like to live there. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Let's talk a little bit about the power that you guys have when you're reporting in a, in a community to, to portray it. You know, like, how, how do you get at the truth of what it's really like there? And whose lens are you looking through, right? Because I think that's, that's one of the things that you guys brought to it is you were able to get to, to a point where you saw it through their eyes, right? Let me ask really quickly, did you guys approach people in Spanish initially or did you go with English and then switch up? I'm just interested to know, like in terms of making on inroads, you know? We approached everyone in Spanish if they were adults, but yeah. kids, we spoke English. Yeah. You did the generational we thing. Did the generational <laughs> we did the generational thing. Generational yep. thing. We knew the kids were going to um, speak English, but... You, you could just tell by looking at the adults. That, right. You, you got a vibe from that from the initial look they would give you as you were walking up. And kind of like this look of like, I'm sizing you up. I, I want to know what you're about. And you just start speaking in Spanish. And there it's, was an immediate change. In some way, it's what you always talk about, Lane, is sort of connecting with the, the people who are going to be the subjects of your story. Where can you find common ground, right? Where, where do they see you, not just as somebody, an interloper who's just shown up and, you know, wants something from them. And so I think you use whatever tools you, you have, and in this case, language and mm-hmm. culture. Do you think non-Spanish speaker could have done this story the way that you guys did? No. <laughs> <laughs> How do you really yeah. feel? <laughs> I mean, no, absolutely. But I think that you would have had a... Um, you know, your work cut out for you kind of sitting down and, and eliciting the, the same responses and the same reactions and the same conversation from people like I'm thinking the fruit stand lady. Yes. And when we, we, we saw her and we pulled the car over and 
you know, she pulled out some chairs for us right away. The same chairs that the ladies from the neighborhood sit in when they want to like gossip. And, you know, we pulled up a chair and sat down and there was a lot of back and forth that I think would have been lacking if, um, if we didn't speak Spanish. And she seemed to really acknowledge like the issues within the neighborhood as far as like drugs. And I really enjoyed listening to her talk about how she keeps her children in line and what her and her husband do to like, you know, be able to live there and be a part of that community. But also, you know, we want to keep our kids straight. Um, and well, I think, I think that, you know, another reporter going in there can easily could have gotten a story. Right. But yes. I think that they, it's again, that lens, what, what, what would their portrait of Tommy town have been? What would it have looked like? And like you were saying, some of the clips um, and some of the previous coverage focused on the negatives and didn't really balance, didn't give enough balance. I mean, you know, every place has um, got positives and negatives. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I remember a, a reporter in Houston was always uh, frustrated, uh, Joy Sewing, about how her neighborhood, they were all talking about potholes in her neighborhoods. Like, hey, there are potholes all over the city. They're not just <laughs> in my town. Um, so, you know, but I am, that sort of view of like, you guys go in as reporters and photographers and you basically tell a story that ha takes a point of view, right? So... How do you know for sure how to trust it and where, you know? Yeah. Well, part of it is that you recognize that this is a community that often has been spoken for and hasn't really had an opportunity to speak for themselves, right? And so you already come in with that framework in mind that this town has been covered, but it's been covered from a very negative point of view. And even when people were interviewed, I know this experience across the board whenever I'm interviewing someone in Spanish for an English language report, there's a difference in the vocabulary, there's a difference in the level of detail of the response that they're going to be able to give you because they feel more comfortable in their native language to be more eloquent and to go really deep into the conversation that they could do in English, but you're missing that extra step. You're missing the extra nuance in what they could share in their native language because they feel more comfortable expressing ideas like that. And so that's a huge benefit for bilingual reporters everywhere to really leverage as an opportunity to instantly form these connections. And I think it does help that as we were focusing on these two teenage girls who were daughters of immigrants, myself being a daughter of immigrants, some of the things that they would say, there would be moments where they go, oh, this is what it's like uh, getting home after school. You know, this instant moment of you get it, right? I don't have to go too in-depth to you. You're not an outsider here. And I'm not having to completely go through a scientific discussion of how things work here. Um, that sort of helped a lot in the process. And I think, you know, yeah, anyone could go in to write a story about Tommy Town, but what nuance they're able to get given the tools that they have going in, could be different. And in our case, we leveraged our language tools and our cultural tools to find a story. And where your gender. We, and mm -hmm. our gender, too, mm -hmm. where we really let our sources guide us, where we were doing a lot more listening than talking and letting them tell us good, bad, and ugly. What is it like? Because we've heard enough of outsiders telling us what that town is like, what Latinos are like. But I want to hear it from those who are actually living these lives. And I think having that cultural understanding um, really colors your writing, um, you know, in a way that comes through that you got, you got it and that you understand, you know, 
what they were saying it and how the they way were you saying shoot it too. It yeah, absolutely. A, yeah, I mean, I, mean I, I want to point out a photo that we actually ran online with this story <laughs> that our own uh, photo editor, after years of having been here at the paper, realized we have never seen this picture of just a community together yeah. in yeah. Tommy Town. Like this, the I, the power of seeing that image, you know, that yeah. that says a lot. Um, let's talk a little bit. So we. The, the school was going to be the hook. And then that it was clear that the challenges of getting that school open and were not happening. And, and actually, um, Ileana was coming to our team meetings and talking about what was happening. And the, um, then it was like, they found these two young women, these two teenage girls. And I think we, well, we have a enterprise team that's full of women. So I guess we're all, <laughs> we're all like, yeah, okay, go for the teenage girls. That's good. But, um, but that's another community you don't hear from too often, you know, that, that world teenagers. and teenagers, teenagers yep. and, and being very much different, but the same, right? Yeah. Which I think was the power of the story in a lot of ways. Cause even though if you're not from a community like that, you they, they still felt like American teenagers. I mean, it still felt like, you know, do we really want to leave home? Are we ready to go off to college? Boys. The boys. boys. All the gossip. Yeah. A lot of boy gossip did not make it into the final cut of, of this story. A lot of cheese, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that, so they trusted you. And part of that was time. I mean, we talk about that all the time, right? What you're willing to invest as a reporter makes such a huge difference. And just observation. When nothing's happening, something's going to happen. You're just waiting it out and waiting it out. I think to to your point about insiders versus outsiders, you know, uh, you talk about the previous coverage have been negative. I think it's because, maybe not because they're trying to, as a reporter, you go in looking for how you can help, right? So if all the other coverage had been about, like, how can we save this town? It, it wasn't the same premise of what is this town? You know what I mean? So right. I think that's a very different viewpoint that you guys went into it with and, and with this whole open notion with an editor who too, who was like, figure out what's there, what's the story, you know, because you, you could easily said, oh, the school's not going to work out punt, mm -hmm. you know, and, and know you guys found something maybe even more powerful. But I think you were drawn in by the community, right? You, you I mean, you kept like, it's an interesting place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I wanted to, to show these people and, um, I mean, yeah, the community's poor and I, I feel like that's something that part of the story people already know and that's the uh, that's the obvious part and so I think that it was a lot more interesting and complicated to show the beautiful parts the parts that you wouldn't see where you would have spent even an hour within the community right. um the the dancing classes were were really neat and the community lunch and church uh was very interesting as well um Church is always a good place to start, isn't church it? Church was oh, very yeah. interesting. Well, when, once you get a church person behind you, they open up all oh, kind of doors. And, <laughs> yeah, and there's young people helping out at this tiny little church that used to be a pool hall. And, you know, you've got young people invested in it. And I, I thought that that was pretty cool. We drove up and we were late. I, I had actually forgotten to bring any SD cards for my camera. Uh, so I had to, I'm sure that's never happened to any of you. Oh, that was a real rookie mistake on my part. So I had to Where's leave. Where's the Best Buy? <laughs> Where is the Best Buy, Siri? And leave Ileana there. And we saw this young man coming out of the church and, you know, the service is about to start. And I said, did it begin already? And he goes, no, you know how Spanish people are. It's not going to start for another half hour. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and she made it back. And I made it back. <laughs> What did you guys learn from this story? Mm, you go first. Oh, <laughs> really? Hand off. Uh, let's see. What did I learn? 
Well, I kind of already knew going into it the importance of a time of, of spending time with people and the idea that exact thing that you just said, Lane, about wait for nothing to happen and then that's when something happens. Because especially when I spent a few hours late one evening with just the girls as they were cleaning up the closet from the dresses. And at first they were even like, why are you here? We're just cleaning the dresses. Like this is nothing groundbreaking. And I go, no, no, you guys just pretend I'm not here. You just do what you're doing. And that, you know, that was an interesting moment because for a while the girls were ignoring me. They were having their own conversations, but then they started talking to me and all of a sudden tears were involved. Like we got some heartfelt stuff going on. Some of it made it into the story. Some of it didn't. It, it was just amazing to see them open up and to then have them say, do you want to come to this? Do you want to come see that? And just, you know, the excitement of seeing your sources really trust you with all of this information. Like I learned a lot of personal stuff from my sources that was amazing to me to spend, to be able to have that time to get to know them because that way I felt a little more confident in writing the story because I felt, no, I know who they are now. I feel comfortable with being able to share this story because I know who they are. And so knowing that difference between writing a quicker story where you just get to talk to somebody very quickly and get their words out versus spending this time with them, that was a big difference. And I learned to appreciate that a lot more. How much time did you guys spend from the first visit to the drafting? I think about a month total mm-hmm. of traveling so that's back the perfect and enterprise writing. rotation yep. right mm-hmm. there. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. What'd you do? Um, well, uh, among the obvious, like everyone has a story, take time to listen to people's stories. One of the most um, obvious comments that we got from people after they read Tommy Town was that they were happy that we went in there and that we brought them like news from this community that they wouldn't have otherwise known about. And I saw a few comments about bring us more, give us more. And so I, I think I learned that, um, you know, look, you know, look around, look deeper, ask around and, you know, find more stories like this about ordinary people, uh, because people want to hear about them. And, um, people are just, people are just craving these kinds of, um, beautiful, simple, uh, stories of neighbors and, I just, I think as an industry, we don't tell the story of the working class very well. I, I think yeah. that's always been true. And I, I think, you know, we, people reach out to us to tell their story, but those are typically power brokers or people, you know, with press releases and things like that. So reaching out and going to find communities where, you know, how empowering is that to see yourself portrayed in the, in the paper and, and see yourself online. And um, anyway, another lesson, I mean, for, it, it was helpful to me to get out there and see what you guys were reporting on too. So I don't know. We've talked about that from time to time on the podcast about editors. Take your editor on a road yeah, trip. Yeah, take your editor on a road yes. because I mean, I was it was helpful to me to see, um, you know, as Ileana's turning in her draft, and I'm thinking, oh, well, you, I, you know, help me picture this some more because I, I saw it and I know where the, you know, where these things are. So, um, anyway. It's a very nice story. We're going to put it on the link on the podcast. Um, if you have any questions for these two young women or for Lane, or you want to suggest a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. 
This podcast was produced by Allison Graves, who's taking over today for our buddy Marta. It wasn't produced by me. Uh, who uh, we've loved having Thank as a you. producer. We've me had too. a very lovely run of producers, and Allison Thank is you, joining. Martha. Thank you, guys. Us. Um, she doesn't know what she's in for, but know, she's, she's got a smile on her face right now. So, uh, Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.